You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 171 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And after having a week off, Andy, you have returned. I have returned. Yeah, I, I couldn't stay away. They, they, they released you from work this week. Yeah, yeah. I'm about to talk about Warhammer and all that sort of stuff this week, which, um, yeah, I'm super excited about. Excellent stuff. So we've uh, we've got quite a cool episode ahead this week because we're going to be delving into um, the latest chapter approved, which has come a little bit earlier than, than we're used to with these kind of books because they're entering a six month cycle. So it's going to be interesting to get Matt currently has this book. He's done a, a great review for us over on com. So it's going to be interesting to get his thoughts on um, you know how you feel this six month cycle is going to be. And um, we're also going to be talking about our top three dream scenery kits. So uh, these could be from for anything: Warhammer 40k, Old World, Lord of the Rings. Um, we just wanted to know what our sort of top three dream scenery kits would be, and we'll read out some of the community picks towards the end of the show as well. We also have quite an interesting news section because I believe. Well, I, I mean, I didn't see this coming, but there's going to be something new for you to collect, put it that way, um, which I'm sure Matt's really keen to talk about um, during said section. Took me by surprise. Um, so there you go, something to keep listening uh, out for. Um, before we get stuck into all of that, though, you know, what have we been up to in the hobby these last seven days? And I'm actually going to start us off this week because there's not much I can really say um, because I've been beavering away at a project... Um, you know, that I can't say because the Inquisition might hunt me down. So that, unfortunately, is the length of my hobby updates. <laughs> so, um, Matt... Evading the Inquisition. Evading yeah. the Inquisition. Cool exactly. minigame. I'm sure it's a board game. Yeah. So you, don't the, you don't get on the wrong side of the Inquisition, do you? They no, uh, do horrific things to you, I hear. Absolutely not. So, um, so Matt, help me out. What have you been doing in the hobby? Well, Please I've say done, you've done enough for both of us. I have I have <laughs> done some stuff. I have been building some models. I've been playing with some aeronautica planes. I popped around uh, Jay's at the weekend and picked up half of the, what is it, Wrath of Angels box, Wrath, isn't it? Yeah, th- this was the uh, on the quiz. Wrath of Angels is correct. <laughs> and uh, they are really really nice models aren't they that aeronautica stuff yeah the space marine ones i hadn't really got them out of the box they're very chunky <laughs> yeah well I've, I've 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 got a fleet of orcs and a fleet of um imperial navy but the i i i do quite like how chunky the space marine vehicles are they are they are very nice and obviously the right scale for for, uh, for epic as well when that finally comes out so yeah so done a bit of work on them i have also done a bit more work on the slangor slow progress on the slangor i'm afraid but the the, the metal was nearly there and then we can finish them off hopefully next week and then crack on with the rest of the uh, slash project i've also been delving into the second edition tyranid codex oh when it was there when I was round at Jay's, he, uh, he lent me the book, and uh, it, it's been nice reminiscing and flicking through that book. And I still love those terrible old plastic Tyranid <laughs> warriors. <laughs> you really do have a soft spot for those. I really do. 
Yeah, looking forward to your uh, your space between aeronautica. I believe we're actually locked in for a game as well, aren't we? At the next club night uh, in a week's time, so have to make sure we've got our um, fleets ready for that. Fleets is that the right is that the right term? That's the right term, isn't it? Um, squadrons. squadrons, I think the technical term Squadron. is. Fleets are ships, aren't they? They're boats. Mm. We're not we're not playing a boat game. <laughs> a boat game would be cool though. I'd be all over a boat game. Yeah. Aeronautical. Aeronautical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that'd be an awesome name. Um, Jay, what have you been up to in the hobby this last seven days? So my hobby has been particularly pointy-eared for this year. So it started off with Glorfindel and some elves, and then it moved swiftly on to Eldar, and it stayed on Eldar. So um, I have been painting up my Aeronautica. Um, so I, I, we went half and half on the Wrath of Angels box set. Matt t- took the Space Marines, as you just mentioned. I took the Eldar, so you get three Nightwings and three Phoenix Bombers. Really, really nice kits. The Nightwings in particular are very nice because the wings move and the like, the way you put, I mean, the fiddly to put together, I had to use blue tack to help me attach the top part of the plane to the bottom part of the plane, whilst keeping the wings in this. They've got like a little, like, um, cog tooth type mechanism that's hidden inside the model, which allows you to move the wings in and out. They've got like the uh, the, the 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 subsonic and supersonic um, sort of flight modes. Really, really nice models. They're so cool. Um, I'm just really gutted that the rest of the Eldar range isn't out yet. We've seen the um, the um, Vampire Raider, and I can never think what the other version of it is. The Vampire Raider. Vampire Hunter. The Vampire Hunter, yeah. So one's like a troop transport, one's like a heavy anti-tank sort of uh, aircraft. So I can't wait to add those to the fleet as well. The fleet, sorry, the squadron. Um, but I think I think I'll get on okay at Club Night with these six planes. They seem to be very very fast <laughs> flicking through the rules. Um, so that's um, these have been painted up in the Imwok colour scheme, so my orange and grey craft world. So I've got quite a lot of craft world models um, painted in that colour scheme, and I decided to paint these these planes in that same colour scheme as well. Um, but then I have, in anticipation, we've, so we've been having the path of the preview every Monday where we're being shown new Eldar models. We've got Eldritch Omens on the way. Uh, there'll be a Codex Eldar hopefully not too far off as well we've seen a lot of new models like dark reapers warlocks today on warhammer community so i thought i'd have a play with a new color scheme for for that range of models when it comes out um and i painted up a bone singer which is like not a bone singer sorry a spirit seer he's like the um wraith ghost sort of um focus psyche that can buff your wraith guard units your wraith blade units that sort of thing um i decided to paint him in a blue and yellow scheme so he could he could represent either Yandan or Alatok, the two Elder Craft Worlds that have the blue and yellow colour scheme. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go yet or whether I'll just use my own sort of craft world sort of background and come up with my own craft world for it. But I really enjoyed painting him. Um, so he's on Twitter. You can check, check him out. Um, he's finished now. Um, I've sort of been making slight changes. So initially when I painted him, I put a lot of um, red gems on him and then I thought he looks a bit primary colour. So I've changed the red gems this evening to purple gems. I think he looks a lot lot nice with the purple gems. Um, and I have two Wraith Lords that I managed to um, base coat today um, with some spray. So hopefully this week I'm going to try and get some paint on the two Wraith Lords as well to go with him. Uh, and then if, if I get those done, I might treat myself to a box of Wraith Blades as well and try and get them painted up as well. So I've got like a nice little Wraith contingent from a new craft world when it gets going. Um, and then hopefully I have all that done in time for eldritch omens um in that you get the new rangers you get a new autark and um, some new shroud runners so i can add 
I'll add like a ranger element to the to the craft world as well. And that should give me a nice little starting force, I think, then to take into Crusade whilst we wait for the Codex. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. That sounds like it. Really good. I, I can't decide which of your two schemes I like more, Jay. I, I think I might be tilting towards your blue and yellow. Um, but you, you, it's Imlock still mm. look fantastic. Yeah, I like the orange and grey. It's nice. It's just the orange is quite hard to paint and make look really sharp. And I, I want this because the new model range is so... You know, it looks so fantastic. The new sculpts look really, really nice. And I assume they're going to be slightly bigger in scale, like we've seen a sort of scale increase over the years. So, I mean, I get my old Guardians out and they're very, very small compared to even the more recent aspect where it's like the Highland Benches. And mm. I just think that extra level of detail that's going to be on these kits, it would be such a shame if I can't do a really, you know, take advantage of that with some really nice sharp edge highlights and things like that. And the blue and yellow, it, it's much easier to achieve that sort of... Um, uh, finish to that model with the, with a nice like well-defined clean edge highlights than it is with the orange and gray i find so mm. yeah we'll see we'll see i mean there's nothing stopping me in bigger games using two craft walls that have come together to sort of you know kill some kill space marines or something like that <laughs> no, absolutely no that makes sense um andy uh what, what have you been up to in the last shall we say a couple of weeks we having our last week uh, last week off what have you been up to uh, so in the last couple of weeks, I I've been building a lot of stuff, um, a lot of Dominion stuff. Um, so one of my hobby resolutions is to paint up the entire contents of Dominion. So I'm kind of taking the initial stages to get it all built, um, and then I can sort of start priming it. Um, obviously, I bought um, Kragnos at sort of like Christmas time just before. Um, so I've worked out a list with the contents of the Dominion box for Krill Boys with Kragnos in and all I need is like um another unit of Bolt Boys and one of the Marsh Marsh Crawler slog offs, I think we're called. Yep. Yeah. Um and then that gives me a two thousand point Krill Boy army. So I've been building all the Krill Boys and Hobgrots and that sort of stuff and I finished off um building in Draster um last week. Um, and then this week, just gone, I've been building and painting Black Powder's Buccaneers, um, which have been really good fun to build and paint them. Um, I've also been doing, um, I've forgotten the name of them now, the Flash Eater Court Underworld Warband as well. Oh, um, yeah. I've only, uh, I've built them and I've primed them Death Guard Green. And my thought is I'm going to, I'm going to do a colour scheme on them and try it out and then see how I feel about it. And then, dare I say it, maybe later in the year, you know, a flesh eater court army just happens to appear on my painting desk. You know, you know, I just mm-hmm. happen to know the, the colour scheme that I want to go for. Um, and then uh, the weekend just gone, um, I ran a Purpose Walker Unicorn two day Age Sigma event up at Element Games called nice March one. to War. Um, yeah, it, it it was definitely a learning experience. Um, there's definitely a lot that I would improve upon. Um, you know, I, like I said, it was a, it was definitely a learning experience. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. It was great fun. I enjoyed myself, and judging by players' reactions and the feedback that we've been given, everyone seemed to enjoy themselves as well. Um, but like I said, there's there's definitely a few things that I would like to improve upon going into next time. 
Mm-hmm. But where, after the event, when I was driving home, I just thought to myself, you know what? I'd love to do one next weekend, uh, but obviously we're, we're not doing one next weekend, unfortunately. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it was definitely a learning experience for some some things that went wrong. You know, it started off a bit rocky, but by by round four and by round five, it it was you know it stabilised and it was. I felt a lot more confident as the event went on. Um, which is obviously great and walking around the table seeing everyone's armies and that sort of stuff was was very interesting so yeah it was it's definitely as silly as this is to say it was definitely very different running an event to actually playing in it uh, as stupid as that is to say because obviously it is but um, yeah I, I, I fully enjoyed it and yeah look forward to doing another one in the future so um, but yeah getting prepped for that took up a, a a lot of hobby time um so the last week or so I, i've not really had that much hobby time to do um but yeah yeah i mean it was great fun um and yeah definitely like to run another one at some point in the future as well excellent you you have been busy yeah i'm good to be i got to um i don't think any of us actually got to attend this one uh, apart from yourself, because obviously they're running it, um, which was a shame, but just came a little bit too soon after Christmas, I think, uh, for me anyway. Um, but look forward to the next unicorn um, unicorn event. So that's what we've been up to over the last seven days, and there's quite a bit that's been going on over on Warcom and different places. So I think we're going to take a bit of a pause and we're going to come back with all of the last week's news. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, if you're a fan of awesome anime mech suits and the like, uh, good news for you because Codex Tau is up for pre-order at £30 standard Codex price. And it's um, we've seen some teasers of some ridiculously good stuff on Warcom, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Just terrifying guns. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting to see. We were talking last... We were talking last week about how it'd be cool if tanks get a bit of a, like a, bu- a buff to make them, you know, a bit more usable, a bit tougher in games. They're definitely going to need it once the tower arrive on the oh, scene. Absolutely, mm. yeah. So, yeah, so that's on the way. Alongside it, we've got cards and dice, as per usual. There's also a rather tasty combat patrol, uh, which I think has got some pretty cool contents in it. Um, you've got a squad of fire warriors. You've got some stealth suits. You've got a ghost keel and a um, ethereal and a fireblade yeah that's quite a chunky box 85 pounds same as the other uh, combat patrol boxes but i think that gives you a good start towards an army there so looks like one of the better ones that they've brought out if you have already got a tower army and you just want to add an ethereal the plastic of ethereal is available separately for the first time ever as well previously mm. it had only been in stock collecting boxes so oh, that's cool that. and that's really nice model as well with his little like prayer beads are they he, he is a nice model yeah he's got the the big uh, is it an equalizer staff or something like i can't remember now what the um the doofer is the name of his staff and he's on a blade but he is a nice model on the little hover drone um yeah. i'd love to see them release i know um obviously um dark strider is getting a new model um with the the new tau codex uh, i'd love to see them do a new rg model joe the ethereal special oh, yeah today. yeah mm. that'd be really cool He's the kick-ass imperial, well, isn't he? He gets stuck in. Yeah, yeah he fights the orcs, yeah. He, I think he's like the best melee unit in the Codex, or it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, so he's on the way. 
£18.50. Like Jay just mentioned, Darkstrider's on the way as well. £21, which seems a bit on the pricey side for a little tower. I don't know how big the model is. I'm not a little tower and a couple yeah, of drones. Not too bad. It's a cool, it's a cool looking model, though. Um, for all 40k players, though, we have got Vigilus Alone, the latest narrative supplement for Warhammer 40,000 uh, in the in the, uh, the Nachtmund kind of, uh, what's it called? Gauntlet story mm. arc. D- J- uh, Dave mentioned at the start of the show that we're moving into six monthly arcs and the theme of this arc is, is Warzone Nachtmund, which we'll talk about in the main section in a little bit. I'm looking forward to reading Vigilus Alone because I was very impressed with the last couple of narrative books they put out. Um, I think it's no secret that the, the Psychic Awakening series was a bit meh as far as we were concerned. Certainly the uh, the little Bellacore story arc and stuff that we've seen recently in the, the Tyranids versus Orcs have been pretty fun, actually, haven't they, Dave? They have. I think they've been really fun. What I so, like yeah. about this one as well is it abaddons, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, he, the, the, yeah, the main man Abaddon, he's back in business. So he, obviously he's we haven't really seen him up to much since, well, Vigilus the first time round, have we? No, exactly, no. yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to see chaos back at the forefront. Yeah, so so yeah, that is up for pre-order. That is thirty pounds. You tend to get some like um, kind of narrative stuff in there as well. So I'll be interested to see what you get in that book. At the same time, we get the latest Crusade release, Wars of Faith. Same deal. This is the Crusade mission pack set within the uh, the Warzone Nachman. So I think we'll be picking that up to play some games, won't we? Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I mean, we um, got to play the last one at Warhammer World, one of the multiplayer games, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, mm. It's been, you know, COVID's been such a. I mean, it's been a pain for everybody, but we've just missed out on all this Crusade content. Uh, and I think we've spoken before in the past that so it was kind of coming out quicker than we could play. But hopefully, we can get a few more games in now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're a Space Marine player. There's also two new Space Marine models on the way, the Captain in Gravis Armour and the Primaris Ancient. They're both up for pre-order on Saturday, and they both look really cool as well. It's been, I know it's a bit of a meme, but it's been a bit a bit in a while since we've had any proper Space Marine models out. <laughs> Whether these are a precursor for another Space Marine Codex, maybe. Mm. Um, you know what? I don't mind that. In the past, we've had fairly regular Space Marine Codexes come out. And I guess if this is the midpoint of the edition, it's probably a nice time for a fresh Marine Codex and just kind of, we've mentioned in the past, some of the Crusade stuff could be a bit more exciting, maybe, and maybe take out some of the rough edges. So, yeah, I'm I'm not too opposed to a new Space Marine Codex on the way. I really, in in particular, I really like that captain and he might get get added to a, a Death Watch force at some point. Death Watch Force, yeah. Well, I've been fairly. I was had the Indomitus contents kicking around for a while. I've been wondering around what to paint them as. But you know what? If a new Space Marine Codex is on the way, I might reinforce the Iron Ravens. Ah, yeah. yeah been a while since you painted any of those. They're a fun, fun force to put together. So yeah, we'll think about that. Um, if you play Blood Bowl, the latest Spike Almanac is on the way as well. This tends to kind of um collect together all the spike magazines that have come out since the previous one and there tends to be some like exclusive white dwarf content in there as well so as much as i like the spike magazines if you have missed out on them it's quite nice to get them in a big hardback book isn't it Mm. so that is on the way 30 pounds so depending on what content's in there i don't know if it's a little bit pricey we'll have to see what's what's in it Mm. now i am a fan 
of big stumpy titans. <laughs> I like big bots and I cannot lie. And um, yeah, we saw a new titan revealed today on Warhammer Community. The uh, the absolutely beautiful Dire Wolf Heavy Scout Titan. So this mm. is a heavily modified Warhound Titan with a big gun strapped to its back. I really like this thing. I've, got, I've only got one criticism of it. I'd like it to have a different head than the Warhound head. I think if it had a different head, it'd look like a different pattern Titan. We're just with the Warhound head on there. It looks a bit like a kit bash. That's my mm. only criticism, though. I really like it. I like the back jointed legs. I like the big chunky feet that it's got that are reinforced to support the big massive gun on its back. I like its stubby little Tyrannosaurus arms with Vulcan Megabolters on. Yeah, it's just a really nice Titan. I want one in 40k scale. What are your, what are your, what are your th- thoughts on this uh, this thing? I'm just disappointed that it's not a Xenos Titan. I thought, I really, I was so hopeful thinking, you know, we've, with the Nemesis Titans and the Warbringers, that's it. That's all the Imperial titans done now let's get some work and eldar titans made having said that i do think it's pretty smart looking it definitely looks like you know like retro into you know as if like like the great crusade was ancient history as far as the imperium is concerned and it does look like a relic of the great crusade yeah it, it gives me hope for the big chunky box titans that were yeah the, uh, played epic oh, what were they not the mars ones they were the other ones weren't they I forget what they're called, but the, yes. the, I remember the, the cover art of um, Epic Armageddon, I think it was, had a big green boxy Warlord Titan on it. And that's just that's my kind of uh, vision of a Titan. And I'd love to see them do one of them. So, yeah. yeah, and there's a few other lesser Titans that have been named in the lore as well. They've never done models for. So I guess there could be lots more Titans coming for, for uh, Titanicus, which is cool for mixing up the game. Definitely surprising. We, I had no idea, was not expecting something like this for Adeptus Titanicus. Certainly a Scout Titan as well, which is, if you think of all the, the larger <laughs> knights that we've got and the, the you know the Warhound itself, that's a kind of well-covered area in the game, really, um, to yeah. go from the, the, the ridiculous scale uh, Warmaster Titan down to a the Scout Titan again. But definitely gives you different options and, and like force construction as well. You could go quite... Uh, heavy numbers, relatively speaking, if you focus on scout titans with bigger guns. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, now it is Monday, and it is the uh, the path of the preview, and we saw a pair of rather nice models today, the Eldar Warlocks. So interestingly, again, this the last few shows we've talked about how back quite a few years ago now there was was character boxes where you got loads of parts and for warhammer fantasy they had quite a few kits that built two characters normally a, a general and a standard bearer or two wizards and they seem to have um brought back this concept for the eldar warlocks there's two distinct bodies four heads and then two options for each hand so if you bought two of these boxes you can build a seer council of four different looking models which is a really cool idea. Jay, as a, re- re- a resident Eldari expert, what are your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I really like these. I, I mean, I love the concept of Warlock. So a Warlock is like, it's a it's a warrior that is now following the path of the Seer. So like a fighting mage, battle mage. Um, I've never had much luck with them in game, but I've always liked the idea of Warlocks uh, to, the, to the degree where I think I've got about, well, I don't know, 
17 or 18 of the old metal warlock sculpts. Um, these are, are really, really nice. Really, really nice sort of a refresh of the warlock range with the witch blades, the singing spears. I really like the variety of the arms, so you can combo those two different arms. I don't know, someone who's better at maths than me will tell you how many combinations of arms you can put on a single model. Um, but yeah, I really like these. Um, you can definitely see that they're a bit, we were talking earlier in the podcast about the sort of scale increase, the size increase. You can see that here, very, very obvious. They're going to be a bit taller, I think, than the current Eldar Warlocks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's shaping up to be quite a big sort of um, uh, range refresh, isn't it, for the Eldar? It is, absolutely. And I think we've probably got a few a few teasers left, haven't we? It wouldn't well, surprise me if this weekend, something we'll mention in a bit, we see maybe the rest of it. Yeah, but, well, we've um, only caught glimpses of the Avatar and Morgan Ra, haven't we? So it'd be mm, nice to see the full versions of those kits. I have a feeling they'll be the big centrepiece stars of the yeah. show this this wave as well. Yeah. Um, a little thing, but what I quite like about these models is that the wind is blowing in the same direction. So the robes are flowing the same way and the hair's flowing the same way. So if they stood stand by stand, stand look, if they stood stand, if they stood side by side, it won't look odd. Just a, a weird, really weird little thing, but I, I quite like that on the models from an aesthetic like point the, of view. Like the, um, what was it? The Lumineff had a lot of that sort of, um, I remember all their robes and banners and things are flying in the same direction. Yeah, it's it's, it's a little thing, but it kind of adds to the effect on the tabletop, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm a bit, because I've got so many of the old Metal Warlocks, and I really like the old Metal Warlocks. They've got, a, you know, to me, they are just like, you, you, you uh, typical Eldar model. I really, really like them. Um, but these guys are also really nice. Um, and I, I mean, I, do I buy a couple of boxes of these and use these as my warlocks, or do I go old school and use my old metal warlocks? I'm, I'm undecided at the moment. I don't know. Why not both? Why I was, not both? I was, I was just about to say this sounds like the perfect moment to slip in that why not both gif. Have two seer councils, Jay. Two seer councils. I don't have much luck with seer councils. Ask Matt. Yeah, I my, my seer councils was just ex- was someone. There was, uh, I, I think, was it maybe it was Zinch it was or Mortarian. Sister Silence or Mortarian. Somebody yeah. forced a chain um, yeah. perils, perils of the Warp, which wiped out many, many Eldar. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, best game that ever. Was la- that was the last time I ever <laughs> used a seer council. I think that's the last time you used your Eldar, wasn't it, <laughs> for a long time? Well, I had no Eldar left. All the braids had melted. <laughs> Well, Jay, if you want some replacement Eldar, there's, there's some good news potentially on the horizon. So uh, on Friday, it's 6 a.m. I don't know if I'll be up. I'll try and be up. I'm so sure one of us might be up at that time. But I it's absolutely 6 guarantee I'll be up. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the last Vegas Open is on. And obviously we couldn't have one last year because of COVID. But traditionally, Games Workshop have a massive um, reveal show there. And this year is no different. So six in the morning, Games Workshop will be showing off the latest upcoming stuff for Warhammer 40,000, Age of Sigmar, the Horus Heresy, Necromunda and Kill Team. So let's throw around some speculation, guys. 40k, I'm going to guess, is the rest of the old stuff that we haven't seen. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe some Chaos Space Marines. Well. I wonder whether we'll see... Joe, all the stuff we saw in the in the teaser trailer at the beginning of the year. So we saw Eldar, Morgan Ra, the Avatar, but we also saw some Tyranids, some Chaos Knights, perhaps. I think yeah. we might see them. That's not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout. They don't normally show stuff too far out, but 
like you say, we've seen little teasers. So even if it was a, here's the awesome new Chaos Knights kit that's coming. Here's a big gribbly tyranid monster. That'd be pretty exciting. Uh, for Age of Sigmar, I think we'll probably see some teaser trailers of the next couple of Codex, uh, the army box, Battle Tomes. Mm-hmm. That's the one. <laughs> um, now, again, we kind of thought it'd be Ideneth and Fire Slayers with them both being in the recent Battle Box, but you never know from Games Workshop anymore. They might go, here's Chaos Dwarves. That's a surprise. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it will be. I don't think, I think realistically, we probably would see Ideneth and Fire Slayers, but I do wonder if they, they do those books a little bit differently. Say we get a book full of dwarves and Ooh. a evil elf book, uh, something like that. I'd I'd love for this reveal to be um, here's Battle Tome, Dawnbringer Crusades, and here's a unit of paladins like the woman out of uh, Curse City. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I don't think this will be the show for it though. No, I'm I'm hoping it's um, some Path to Glory content because we haven't had any supplements or books or anything like that for Path this to Glory. This thing surprised yet, me because so. we. we in in a similar space of time where we are now from the launch of uh, 40k, we'd had a number of kind of um, companion books, haven't we? We had across yeah. you know uh, Crusade and uh, Match Play, where yeah, the, the lack of Path to Glory does surprise me. So hopefully they show that because then I think we'll definitely be back on the uh, Path to Glory bandwagon. Horus Heresy, it, could it be this big box? I really hope so. Part of me thinks it's just going to be another um, Praetor or something, isn't it? <laughs> it can't be a Primarch because we got all of those. No, it could be a Demon Primarch. Could be, yeah. Angron was the first model they brought out. So Demon Angron could be a shout. No, it's got to be the box. It's got to be it's, the it's box. Be the box. I, th- I think it's the box, but I think it'll be a tease of the box rather than a big reveal of the box. Yeah. I was actually thinking maybe it could be um, a character series, but, but not a Primarch. Maybe another leading character that we haven't seen yet, like Malkador or something. Oh, yeah. oh that'd be cool. Or the Emperor. Well, the Emperor, yeah, you never know. If if we are gearing up for the Siege of Terror, we do need the big man. I don't know why, but I would imagine if they were ever going to do an Emperor model, we'd see it at a Warhammer World event. I don't know why. I just think yeah. that's something they would say for them. Would be a bit of a special model, wouldn't it? Mm. I mean, in the in the um, Infernal book, is it that the, the, the Emperor is referenced in the rules because he, he has is. to be a warlord in the Talons of the Emperor Force if he's present. <laughs> yep. So I mean, he's, 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 let's face it, the Emperor's coming. <laughs> it's just yeah. when, isn't it? So yeah. yeah. Necromunda, again, will we see the next proper gang, whether they're uh, Ash Wasters? There's some recent rumour engines that look like vehicles, and Dave, you've speculated, could we finally see the kind of Mad Max-style warbands that roam outside of the hives? Obviously, that's a big addition to the game because you need the rules for vehicles and stuff, and arguably vehicles for the existing gangs to use as well. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, but I think I think... It's a possibility. Either that, or it could be uh, like terrain for Necromunda. I don't. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I reckon a gang. We tend to get them quarterly with a book alongside them. I mean, th- there's rules for for Chaos Cultists and Gene Stealer Cult. We recently got the uh, the kind of Outlanders redone as the uh, the Book of the Outcast. So could we get a Xenos slash 
chaotic book maybe who knows we'll find out on friday hopefully and finally kill team i expect us to see the next kill team box with two new plastic kill teams in there speculation is eldar corsairs versus summit with the warzone knackman stuff going on i'd kind of like to see chaos cultists or reinvented chaos cultists so lost in the damned minotaurs traitor guard all the dregs that join the uh kind of the forces of chaos, I think would be a core antagonist against the Eldar. Uh, that sounds like a really good idea to me. So anybody, anyone else got any kind of out there predictions or anything they'd like to see? I I think we may see a lot more for the Age of Sigmar than um, we might be expecting, simply because I think the edition's been out a while now, but we've only got three battle tones. And I know they've had COVID and different things, and I don't know. It, it it seems to have been a very slow sort of launch for a new edition of the game. We're now nearly a year into it, aren't we? So yeah, I mean, if, I guess if you discount the the Stormcast and Cruel Boys, you know, obviously they had big releases that followed quite a while after the the box, didn't they? Yeah. If you talk new new models, there's been three: the Nurgle character, the Eidneth character, and the Fire Slayers character. Yeah. Which for for a main core system doesn't seem like a lot. No, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to see a big army release. Yeah. And you never know. They've done it before. The Sons of Bayamat dropped it one of these shows, I believe. Mm. And that was a whole new army with some big models. So yeah, we'll see. I I, I hope we see some Age of Sigmar love. Um, I, I think it's going to be very Eldar centric. If they show Which off the heresy, yeah. <laughs> if, if they're going to show off the heresy stuff, that's going to be a big focus of the show. So we'll see. They tend to be hour-long previews. This, so if it's evenly split, what's that? Ten minutes per main title. Not a lot of time to show off some massive things, but we'll see. And to be fair, I, I, you know, part of me says no. Just keep it Eldar and Horus Heresy. That's enough for me to be painting this year. I don't need a really cool Age of Sigmar army to distract me either. Well, so on uh, next week's show, we'll find out all about the new Age of Sigmar army that Jay's collecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we'll try and tune in for that. It is very early. I believe it's all going to be on Warcom as well. So when you do wake up, you can enjoy all the pictures and videos on there. And finally, did any of you guys have um, sticker albums as a kid? Oh, yes. Several. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not into football, but I had a, I had a Panini sticker album collecting, I don't know, Euro 96, or whatever the latest sporting event was, dating the podcast a little bit here. Um, <laughs> well, in, in, in news that nobody saw coming, Panini today announced a partnership with Games Workshop. In the spring, they are releasing a uh, Warriors of the Emperor sticker album with 204 stickers where you can collect various heroes of the Imperium. Sounds pretty cool. Alongside this, there's 50 hero cards you can collect, a buildable box, which sounds very exciting, and a fold-out <laughs> Space Marine armory poster. Yeah, I didn't see this coming, guys. This is what I was referring to at the top of the show was something that I really wasn't expected to be talking about today. Uh, yeah, something else collectible for Warhammer. Part of me wants to collect this. I know I'm pushing forward, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> it, it's Never on the it. We'll have a, so, a trading segment on the podcast in a few weeks' time. Yes. 
do it. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I like this. You know, kids love sticker albums. It kind of spreads the hobby. Uh, reading the Panini uh, kind of uh, press release on the website as well, there's a lot of marketing into this as well. So we'll see TV adverts. It'll be in your local supermarket. Yeah, it spreads the word about Warhammer 40,000, and that's not a bad thing. Interestingly, in the uh, autumn, they were also releasing a trading card collection as well. Now, that is something I, I would probably prefer more than stickers. That's just the Pokemon mm. trading card fan in me coming out. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, uh, there's just something about collecting things like this, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> so, I know I, there's a few, few people online who are like, oh, why have they done this? But I, look, it, it, it might not be aimed at you. It might be aimed at kids, and that's fine. It gets new blood into the hobby, and it expands the kind of universe for other people to enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely on board for a 40k sticker album. <laughs> Utterly random. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And I think that rounds us up for the news, Matt. Mm. So we're going to take a slight pause and we're going to come back with the latest Warhammer 40,000 book that we've got in our hands. It's chapter approved, so we'll be right back. So a new chapter approved already, Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the normal time we'd expect one. This oh, is a year it? after the last one. It is indeed. A year after the last chapter approved. Well, that, after quickly. this point, after this point, oh, God. Because you mentioned it earlier in the show as well. I thought, oh, I'll just go with it. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is when it was due. After this, it's six months late. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I honestly didn't know it had been a year. So that just took me by surprise. That's all. <laughs> It, time has been weird <coughs> this past year, hasn't it? Last two years. Um, mm. And yeah, it, it, can you believe it has been a year since the last chapter approved came out? Now, since then, Games Workshop have done a couple of a couple of changes. They've decided what they're going to do instead of kind of annual releases of chapter approved is have six month long seasons. Each season will be based in a different location. And for each location, there will be a range of accompanying uh, books with it. So there'll be a narrative book telling the story arc of what's happening in that six month period. There'll be a um, crusade book giving you all your crusade content. And there will be a matched play uh, chapter approved volume going alongside it. Um, and yeah, that this book is War Zone Nackmund Grand Tournament Mission Pack to give it its full name. And yeah, basically this is the, the match play rules for the next six months that will be played at games workshop events and to be fair majority of um match play events around the world will tend to use this pack bundled with it you also get the monitorum field manual which contains the latest points updates so first of all before we go on what are your, are your guys thoughts on these being every six months now rather than every year um so i i, I like it because um we get a nice little refresh of um, plans and stuff to play every six months. I think that's cool. Um, it does feel a bit like the taking advantage of our goodwill as playing sort of tournaments and things like that. Cause uh, realistically, how many tournaments do you think there's going to be within six months? Um, and you really have to buy this book if you want to stay in the competitive scene. Um, so, I'm a bit kind of yeah. I, I don't know where I stand. I like yeah, it. How it. Sorry, you guys go. Go on, you go, you go, you go. I was gonna say I, I I like how it gives them an opportunity to shake up 
the meta. So we've seen recently uh, Drukari and Admech dominate in match play games, um, and they can use a six-monthly cycle of sort of seasons of war to introduce battle plans that perhaps don't favour shooting armies so much um, mm. and, and favour more objective-holding armies or close-combat armies in the way um, they've done in Age of Sigma, where you've got different battle tactics and different... Um, um, what are they called? The... Um, um, strategies. No, yeah, grand strategies, and also the army building mechanic. It's like the detachment thing, battalions in um, in um, Age Sigma. Mm. So, so they could use that to, without necessarily addressing um, an issue in a codex or refreshing a particular set of army rules, they could just introduce new battle plans, which perhaps don't favour the really, um, like say, shooting armies or, or, or psychic heavy armies and things like that. So, I like it from that point of view. But I'm with you as well, Dave, that. It's fast becoming a very expensive and a very um, lots of books to keep track of. And I mean, I don't know any, but I mean, approaching a game of 40k nowadays, um, I tend to find it's a it it can make your head hurt quite a bit because there's that many things to consider. Your your secondary objectives, your opponent's secondary objectives, uh, all this sort of thing. It's very (laughs) gone are the days where you could just rock up and play. What was it? The uh, the 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 meat grinder um, battle. There's, yeah. there's absolutely no, I, I don't think there's any resale value in these books. So after six months, they just kind of sit on your shelf and, yeah. you know, you might think to yourself, I might go back to that battle plan, but you very rarely do because if the new battle plans are coming out every six months, you're never going to have a chance to. You're going to be too busy playing the latest one. So um, it, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead and looking at the price, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. See, I, I I like the fact that, like Jay said, it changes the game every six months and keeps it fresh and entertaining and stuff. I mean, if you're a competitive player that's quote unquote chasing the meta and you know building a list because it's good at the time, and then six months down the line, it's it's changed up and you know. But I think six months is a decent enough time for you to build and paint an army and then go to a couple of events and play games with it. I think if it was sort of like three months, then I'd be like, mm, no, that's, you know, that's insane. That's just too quick. But I think six months is a, a a decent enough time period for us to enjoy what we have before moving on to sort of the next part of it. And yeah, keeping, you know, the meta changing is, is is exciting for you know tournament players who want to go to events and they don't want to play the same army for six months so or you know a year or whatever um but yeah i am a little bit concerned about how many books are coming out um i mean for me when i approach 40k now i i'll rock up with chapter approved and my codex and that's it simply because i don't really want any of the other rules if it's going to win me a game, I'm not really that bothered. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see when we've got this, how many books we actually need to play. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point. One of the one of the things I I despise in all systems is where we're going to print out FAQs, print out points updates. I had a nightmare compiling the points changes for this review. Some very kind, friendly people on, on in comments have, have pointed out that some of these might not be right. Yeah, that's probably the case because I was picking through. We've got, what, the previous 
field manual, the free one that they put in White Dwarf. Yeah. We've got previous codexes. We've got updates that are on the FAQs, but not referenced in books. It quickly becomes very messy to get the latest rules. And I think that's one of the good things with what they could do with these books. If they capture, for example, FAQ changes from the last six months and put them in these books as well. I'm, I'm going to quickly start with the with the negatives on this because I don't want to dwell too much on them, but there are some negatives. A, it feels pretty cheap compared to the General's Handbook. General's Handbook was a really nice hardback spiral bound book with a really handy kind of rule reference sheet on the back, and you could open up flat with the with the kind of the, yeah. the mission and the map, and it was really really good. This is just a, like a magazine bound kind of book, two little ones. The, the main one is 56 pages. They've taken out all the rules content. It used to have pretty much the full rule book, apart from the detachment rules. That's been removed. So you just get the missions, and then you get a book with the points in. So does the, that mean now you have to bring your big core, big rule book, and this in order to play a game? It does indeed. Which is a shame because the good thing about chap, chap, the previous chapter approved was that the, the rules were in there for looking up any kind of rules disputes or anything. And even if they'd have used that, I think my biggest grudge with that is that they haven't used those missing pages to put something else in. Even if it was a here's the FAQs for the last six months, that'd be a really cool thing to put in there. Um, but mm. no, they just, they just removed it. So the book's half the half the width. Mm. Mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's a negative but there is some good in here and there's some really cool stuff now one of the things they've aimed to do with this book is change the way that you build armies due to tournament feedback so one of the things that we've mentioned and i don't think any of us have actually ever done it when building an army but you see it very often online is kind of cherry picking your sub factions to get the benefit so if you're playing an army and you've got a sub-faction that's really good at shooting and a sub-faction that's really good at combat, you build your army in such a way that you've got two detachments. A detachment with all your ranged shooty stuff in it and a detachment with all your awesome close combat stuff in it. And then you make your shooty stuff, the shooty sub-faction, we'll call them the sisters of shootiness for the sake of argument. And then the other detachment, the sisters of punching people in the face with all your close combat stuff. And while from a tactical standpoint, I guess, OK, you're kind of maximising what the units are good as. From a from a narrative point of view, I just don't buy that. You'd have two halves of armies rocking up and working together to, to cover each other's weaknesses it wouldn't happen your, your, your sisters of shootiness army would have some close combat elements in there they might not get the benefit of the uber shooty rules but they're still part of the army in the law and one of the things this book addresses is that so if an army has got a choice of sub factions so um i don't know the uh, mechanicum you can choose between what mars riser for example your entire army now has to have that same keyword. Okay. Otherwise, it is no longer legal. Yeah, I, I I really like that. I think what you were referring to the sisters was because um, I think it's quite popular is having like the the sister of the bloody uh, of the the order of the bloody rose is what I was going to say, which is the real fighty one, um, and then couple that up with I don't know martyred lady or um, the the one oh, that you play Arch and Shroud, yeah. yeah. 
So um, I really like the fact that you're locked into a sub-faction. I mean, like you, Matt, I, I don't think I've ever mixed sub-factions. I think I've always just played one. <clears throat> and I, I think I think for a competitive game, that's valid. Every army has to have a strength and a weakness for the game to be interesting. And even, you can't just have an army that has no weaknesses. And, and, and in effect, that's what you're doing by mixing factions within a, a codex. Mm. But for narrative mm. games... And these rules don't affect narrative games. I have no problem. I mean, Matt, you've you've often talked about bringing Gasgol, leading some um, goth knobs with your speed free army alongside it, and that's just you know, there's nothing wrong with that in a narrative game because you know you're not you're not building your army to maximise the efficiencies of different units in your army. So yeah, I think it's an important and good change for match play. Yeah, it, uh, and even from a from an ease of playing, if you're playing somebody and you know it's all one faction. If, if you know we're not we're not high-end tournament players but let's say andy you're probably bigger on the tournament scene than us but you're playing against someone who's got an evil sons or army, for example you, you might not know the ins and outs of the codex but you know what evil sons does when you get down to multiple different detachments with different sub factions there's a lot more for you to think about and maybe the possibility for not intentional cheating but maybe mixing things up a little bit where you're playing across two essentially mini armies You've got enough yeah. to think about in a match play game anyway, let alone figuring out what each unit in your opponent's army can do. Yeah, that, uh, and when you start mixing in different like tribes and stuff like that, it's how do you differentiate them? You know, do you paint them differently? If if they're not, then that that's when it causes some big issues as well. So it'd be, I, I suppose that kind of this kind of solves that problem. But I, I do like it in the sense that it, like what Jay was saying, you take certain units that might be good in Behemoth for, let's say, for Tyranids, and other units might be really good in Kraken. So you might see a Kraken army that's completely different to Behemoth army, and therefore, you know, you're, you're almost encouraging gamers to, to buy more models, as silly as that sounds. So... Yeah, I, I I like it. I think it's a good change. Yeah, and it's it's worth saying as well that that only applies to um, specific sub faction keywords as well. So Drakari, for example, who can have cults and cabals, they can be different. It's just the the same option can't be different if that makes sense. You can't have two witch cults in the same army. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some exceptions. So marks of chaos do not apply to that which again makes sense that a undivided chaos army would have different marked units that's a little bit different than getting a a, a word bearers bonus and a black legion bonus if it's just a mark of chaos on each unit it's a little bit different from like kind of interacting stratagems and stuff um allegiance as well for demons is the same so you can still do mixed demon armies uh, Dreadblades and Freeblades are exempt as well because they're by their nature they're more kind of like mercenary knight households. So they've still given you the options for the factions that would operate like that, but everyone else is restricted. And I honestly think that's a really really good thing. The other thing that we see clarified on here was in the previous edition of the um, the book, but I don't think many people picked up on it at the time. And that is that super heavy auxiliary detachments, as long as your warlord isn't in it. And obviously the, the keywords match across your army, you get a plus two command point refund. 
So essentially, it costs you one command point for a super heavy rather than three command points. I know you're a fan of this one, Dave. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. Um, because if you, one of the reasons a lot of people weren't taking monoliths is the, the cost that was involved, plus the lack of vulnerable save, of course. Um, and this at least gets around part of that. Um, and you know, I think some of the some of the best games at Warhammer, especially at the upper points levels, have uh, got big stompy robots going around. I mean, who doesn't want to play around with like a massive floating temple or a big imperial knight or you know um, a storm surge or something? So yeah, I think this is a great change. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, uh, knights and stuff are cool, and I love to see stuff like that in an army and. I mean, I'm I'm never too fussed about trying to conserve command points, but obviously in a in a tournament environment, that's a lot different where every command point matters. So at least you're not being penalised for bringing a bane blade or a knight or a monolith or whatever now. So that's a thumbs up from me. The next thing that they've changed in here is uh, another interesting one. How many of you guys have ever bought with points a piece of terrain and had it as part of your army? Never. No. Now, the problem a lot of people have is with the terrain placement rules, you have to place them. I think it's three inches away from any other terrain feature. Now, Andy, you run a lot of events, and normally on the board that you've set up beforehand, there wouldn't really be enough space to put down a big terrain piece, would there? And on top of the terrain that's already on the table. No, no chance. (laughs) So with the new rules, if you've bought a piece of terrain and you are unable to place it on the battlefield, you can remove a single piece of terrain that's on the board within your deployment zone and put your faction terrain there. Oh, excellent. Ah, it's very similar to the um, Age of Sigmar faction terrain as well. They, they allow you to do the same thing, which is good. You know, if you're paying the points for a piece of terrain, you need to be guaranteed that you can actually use it. So, yeah, this is a good clarification. Yeah, and I like that because then... it. it... There may be reasons then for buying a, a terrain piece to obviously we've, we've seen, we're all terrified about hammerheads and and the various terrible things that tau could do to you but if you can bring like a bastion or something to yeah. put in the way of a hammerhead then that might be a tactical option you've got now to just buy yourself another turn mm. or even the um sisters of battle shrine yeah because mm. that's huge isn't it so mm. yeah that's that's very interesting so, yeah, I hope this this brings back some kind of tactical reasons for bringing back these, because I quite like the idea of, of faction scenery. It, it just works in Age really Sigma, doesn't it? Yeah, there's yeah, exactly. no reason why it can't work in 40k. <clears throat> so, yeah, so that's that's another interesting change. So they're kind of main changes to, to army construction, how the rules work. For the actual kind of um, uh, kind of battle plans themselves, they've revised everything pretty much every every mission in here has either been changed or altered they've changed some measurings they've changed how it works the biggest thing they've changed across all of the missions is the fact that previously you had a primary objective that was worth 15 points and then you had a secondary mission you could pick instead of one of the ones in the book and we'll, we'll cover those in a little bit now one of the things that I found in a lot of events in your head you've kind of made your list of your secondaries that you want to do anyway and it was rare that you'd swap it out for the mission specific secondary just because you've already got your kind of like battle plan in your head gone out of what you're going to take they've changed that now so the the mission specific secondaries have all been removed and instead there's two primary objectives 
One of them, for example, we've got deliverance, which is one of the incursion size missions. You can score a maximum of 12 points from the first primary objective, taking hold, which is the traditional hold one, hold two, hold more. But then the rest of the points you get from secure landing sites. So there'll be specific objectives and battle um, battle rounds that you have to try and score these in on top of the primary to get the rest of the points. And again, I quite like that as well. So in addition to just sitting and holding the objectives to get the full 15 points from the primaries, you're going to have to try and do something else as well. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think on this. It makes it more about what happens on the table rather than what happens the night before when you're writing your list, which is what Warhammer should be about. You know, you shouldn't be able to rock up with a list that you've tuned, you've picked your secondaries, you've got your unit combinations, you know, you're already at an advantage against a lesser prepared player. Whereas now you go into a battlefield, it's more of an even playing field. It's about how you can react to your opponent's moves in the game rather than all that pre-work. Yeah. And what's interesting, there's no maximum to the, to the second objective so you could get the full 12 points for sitting on three objectives for the entire game but your opponent can also score their full quota of points by trying to do the other progressive mission as well so does this mean there's two primary objectives and now three secondary objectives but the secondary objectives you pick from you know the table at the beginning there's not a scenario specific secondary Yep, exactly. There's no more scenario-specific secondaries. So they've all got the, the general kind of like hold one, objective, hold two, objective, hold three objectives that all 40k missions have had for the primary one. So uh, we picked a random one here, Display of Spiritual Might. That's got a progressive mission where you're trying to do that, just hold objectives. That caps out at 12 points, though. So if you just did that, you can't get the full 15 points from the mission. However, there's a secondary on this one. At the end of each battle round, the player scores one point for each enemy unit that was destroyed to a maximum okay. of three points per player per battle round. So over the course of a game, you could not have the objectives, but as long as you can kill three units a turn, you could, in theory, get your 15 points from that one. Now, it's likely that if you're just focusing on that, your opponent's going to get majority of the points for holding objectives and they're probably going to be killing a few of your units to get those three points to top it up. But it means that even if you can't shift your opponent off those objectives, there are ways of you getting missions for the primary as well, which should lead to closer games. I think I like that. I think I would need to have a game because um, I quite like the simple kind of primary secondaries. But I think that sounds quite straightforward. And yeah, I look forward to giving that a go. Yeah, I... <sighs> Yeah, I think I'd have to play it as well because it, it used to be one primary and three secondaries, and effectively now you've got two primaries and three secondaries. So if any, like for me personally, when it comes to 40k, I, I kind of I almost feel a bit overwhelmed in terms of how much I have to take into consideration, and this adds another thing that I have to think about and take into consideration and I don't know if that's getting to the point now where it's a bit it's almost slowing the game down for me again and like they said I'd have to play a few games and see how I feel about it but my first impression is they've just added 
more to a game for me that I don't feel needed adding. Mm. But it'd be interesting to see. So you still only get a maximum of 15 across both primaries as well. So it's not a case of you can get 30 30 points now. I think what they've tried to do this so that if some games would be very, very difficult for you to win if you can't get that primary. So it gives you another route of points for that primary objective, I guess, is, is the idea. But I, get, I see what you mean about, um, obviously, there's more things to think about per mission. One question I've got for you about. So it's, you can score a maximum of 15 points per player turn, which is the same amount that you could score uh, in in the, um, the previous chapter. Per, route. Route. Yeah, per, per battle per, round. Per, per entire game. Uh, 15 points per battle round not for the entire game no, no. though 15 points for the entire game is the maximum you can score from primaries so do you score do you still score five points for the hold more and then five points for uh, sorry five points are holding one five points are holding two 15 points are holding three is that is that changed down to single figures yes sorry ignore me 15 points per battle round right per yeah. pri- per both primaries. So, yeah. So, for example, if we just go with the, the standard kind of thing, if you hold one or more objectives, you hold, you get four victory points. If you have two, you get four victory points. If you have more, you get four victory points. Obviously, that doesn't give you enough for 15. So, to get the maximum points, you still have to do an element of the second primary. Understood. If that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. And then, does it still have a cap at the end, like for scoring on primaries? Like, you can't score more than, I can't remember what it was, is it 40 or 45? Dave, Dave, you don't need to concern yourself with ever reaching the cap, mate. <laughs> uh, well, no, I know, but I'm thinking of our listeners, not, 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 just, not just myself. <laughs> this is it. So, so over the entire game, you can score a maximum of 45 points from primaries. Now, right. obviously, each of those kind of, like, take and hold kind of ones caps out at 12, but the second primary doesn't. So that's where, if you have a particularly strong turn, you could, act in theory, get a big kind of weight towards your maximum 45. Right, got you. No, that, that's cool then. I like that. So, again, it'll take a couple of games for people to get their heads around it, and it is a different way of playing it. And, yeah, it is an extra thing to think about per turn. Now, what they have changed is the secondaries in quite a big way. So, previously, if you had, say, let's say Sisters of Battle, for example, they're an easy one. You've got secondaries in their codex and there's also a couple now of uh, narrative supplements that have sisters of battles rules in with additional secondaries mm. previously you could pick your three secondaries across any books i think there's a maximum of one per codex but supplements you could you could in theory if there was enough supplements you had access to with stuff for your army you could have all of your secondaries without even taking one from chapter approved that has changed somewhat now. You can take a maximum of one secondary that isn't from chapter approved, whether it's from a codex or a supplement or a limited edition book or whatever. At least two of your objectives have to come from chapter approved. OK. And again, I think that's a way of maybe fighting arguments of, you know, pay to win with supplements where, Somebody could argue like, oh, okay, well, this supplement's got a really easy to to win secondary, but only this super specific force can take it. It stops them, um, you know, if there is a little bit of imbalance in the codexes where um, a book might have three really solid 
chapter approved rules, whereas another ninth edition book might come out and you might only have one, kind of help balance that. Yeah. So so yeah. So I, I like that. And um, what I also like is that in this book there's secondaries for some of the factions that haven't got a codex yet. So Astra Militarum, Chaos Knights, Tyranids, Chaos Space Marines, Chaos Demons, and Imperial Knights, I believe, all get their own uh, secondaries in here as well, which is cool. It brings those older forces up to date. I was just going to say, uh, and also on that, on that subject, if you pick up this month's White Dwarf, you get them in card form as well. Yes, you yeah. do, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Interestingly enough, all those armies that you just listed, Matt, are armies that I would expect to get a codex in the next six to eight months. Yeah, I'd agree with you as well. And I guess, obviously, this covers the next six months. It just means all of those are in equal footing, I guess, from the start of the season, which is a good way of doing it. Yeah, it also, also gives them a, like a additional playtesting almost with putting them out early to see how it affects the armies. Yeah, so exactly. I, I, I like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Now there's a few there's a few uh, a lot of these are the same that we've had. There's a few tweaks. So deploy teleport homers. Previously, I think only infantry could do it. Now bikers can do it as well. So mm. obviously we've got a few. Jay, you've got your super yeah. quick jet bikes. I've got my uh, my jackals. So that again, add, you know, mixes up the list building a little bit. Um, to the last. I think has been clarified where units that split, they all had to be destroyed, but there's a disclaimer saying that drones don't count. So a unit can split and have drones kicking around. You don't have to kill the drones to get that secondary. So that's good. Cool. On the whole, though, not massive changes there, just some little tweaks. The main big thing really is um, addressing that only one secondary that isn't from this book so we quite like that and again across the missions there's some clarifications some of the maps are drawn a little bit better with additional markings to show where things should be one of the problems we've had on some missions is just working out where on earth the objective marker should be without yeah yeah so Mm. they put a few more kind of markings and lines in there to show that so so far so good obviously the i don't like that the taken out the rules the kind of the, the core rules from there i think that's a mistake personally i'd like to see that included in the next one myself onto the points i'm going to go into these in super detail the main kind of vibe that i've got through this book is that tanks have come down in price as i've kind of like super heavy vehicles and stuff as well now speculation is we were talking we're joking about the hammerhead but um they're, they're all targets that will get eaten up by a hammerhead. So it is interesting that they've all come down in points. So, for example, all Bane Blade chassis super heavies have come down 40 points. The Necrons have had considerable points cuts. Let me find them. Uh, majority of the highest points cuts in their Lord of War section. So the Monolith's gone down 30. The Silent King's gone down 30. The Obelisk's gone down 40. And the Tesseract Vault's gone down 50. Yeah. That's some pretty big uh, drops yeah, on those yeah. laws of war. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know. Uh, would that, combined with the fact that your super heavies only cost one command point, encourage you maybe to include some of those in your force? It would definitely encourage me to put a monolith in there. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, whenever you look at units that aren't getting used, 
there's usually a good reason for it. It's a points issue or again, like you say, like something like um, it costs too many command points to bring the detachment in. Uh, and sometimes it's the data sheet, isn't it? So uh, it'd be interesting to see if Necron lists change with those points cut or not. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's some considerable points cuts for the Necrons. So, Dave, you're a fan of the Doomsday Arc, aren't you? I am. It is now 160 points, which I believe is a 30 points drop than what it used to be. Mm. The trusty yeah. Doomstalkers down 10. Uh, Scorepec Destroyers are down five. I've I've got a lot of Scorepec Destroyers, and I've and, been tempted to do a Destroyer Cult Force. Yeah, and also uh, we should note that um, obviously it's not covered in this chapter approved, but a lot of Necrons have now got the core keyword as well, so they are trying to you know encourage different units for the Necrons. Yeah, exactly. How on the other hand, uh, Orcs have had a, a couple of points increases, so. The beast boss on Squiggasaur. Jay, you fought this fella. He's, oh, he's, yeah. he's, he's a really fun guy to face, isn't he? Fought he's, in he's... the loosest sense. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's gone up a, a chunky 30 points, which I think is justified. Oh, wow. The um, the the kill rig has gone up 20 points, which, to be fair, I think it's still cheap for 210 points. It is, mm. but I guess when you compare it to the fact that a lot of other vehicles have gone down, it's a bigger yeah. sort of delta, isn't it? So That's it. If you've got... You know, if we think land raiders have gone down 20 points, that's essentially a net 40 point increase, then, yeah. isn't it? If similar vehicles have gone down. So that's the kind of stuff they've tried to do across here. Um, I quite like that. The, again, slightly controversial one is pretty much all the custodies points have changed and the book's been out, what, a week, two, maybe? Yeah, now the codex was delayed a little bit, but it, it, it does. Sort of, it does. You sort of question how much play testing these things go through if almost immediately there's points changes i mean they must be printed in advance i don't know yeah it seems a bit odd on average i think there's about a six month lead time on printing now obviously global events have probably made that a lot longer yeah and, you know it is it, you know it, it is a possibility that this book was done a year ago and it's just been waiting for a release slot maybe you know yeah. there's not a there's think... not there, there's only one plastic kit for this and one plastic kit for the g sealer so that doesn't suffer from needing a load of warehouse space and sprues and oh, stuff built ready re- to go does it and remember we saw the talons of the emperor on a manifest yonks ago didn't we remember that we did indeed that, that and i do wonder and that was that was last year uh, yeah. with, with the sons of Bayamat. so i do wonder if this is actually a year late and it, it should have been released last year it makes they do, sense. They do mention Warcom. I think the Custodes book should have been out a lot sooner than it than it was. And and to be fair, they have also released the Custodes points for free on Warcom. So um, I'm going to side a little bit with GW at this point. See, I I I think all of these points should be free. I I get paying for new missions, new content, but when you buy a codex, you buy the codex with the points in the back. And if Games Workshop tweaking their game, releasing new products, decide to change and alter those points. I don't think you should have to pay for them again, in no, my personal year, opinion. Last year, I think a month or two following the release of the Last General's Handbook, it was provided free in White Dwarf as well as a supplement in there. So I wonder if they do the same. I, 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 we've, we've chatted about this off podcast for a bit, and I wonder if this kind of model of an of a, of a annual, or now biannual book with um, points in, is something that could actually move to the Warhammer Plus subscription. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, with um, 40k, if you take the points out of the codexes and make it into a, a, a living document almost, and like you say, you put it behind a paywall of Warhammer Plus or include it in Warhammer Plus, you've still got power level for people who want to play casual games. Mm. So, well, one thing I want to stress it, from my point of view, and uh, you know, you guys might disagree with me, is I understand the need for tweaking points because they want to keep their games as balanced as possible. And, and no matter how much you play test, the best play testers are you know out there playing tournaments week in week out. So I completely get them wanting to adjust points. Um, I guess it's just the way they then publish them that is the, the real issue. You know, putting it behind a twenty-five pound book um, is yeah, just a bit of a bit of pill to swallow. Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I get the points changes being with the new season mission pack. And again, I don't object to paying for a mission pack either. I think that's that's uh, not a massive price to pay for, for all the gaming content you're going to get in there. Where it gets a little bit blurry is, is I guess we just need to see how this six monthly thing goes. Because we've gone i guess we've gone from paying 25 pounds a year for your match play rules to paying 50 pound a year for your match play rules but arguably you've got twice the missions if the missions are different i think that's going to be the thing i quite like what age of sigma have done where it's like an entirely new pack each year with different rules and stuff because then if you want to go back and play an older one it is a different environment to play in Mm-hmm, I think we yeah. just need to see how different each season's going to be for 40k. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. In Sigma, you could, if you're playing out a narrative campaign, you can be dipping into which realm you're playing in. Well, yeah, say, say the, yeah, a unicorn event. Say in a couple of years' time, which we've had a few seasons down, you could have an event where each day is in a different realm or something like that, and that mixes up your list building as well. You can't well, look, kind of like count on everything. Yeah, there, there might be a, a, a battle plan where flyers are penalised. You know, units with a fly keyword are heavily penalised. So obviously that then takes the focus. You won't see many Stormcast Dragon lists, for example, in that sort of season because they'd be penalised. And that, mm. that's what that's what you can do in those seasons. So, you know, if you're getting tired of rocking up to the same old Age of Sigmar event and everyone's bringing Marathi and Gotrek, play the season of war set in Heesh where you can only have one character in your army, uh, something like that. Yeah, and... That's the kind of thing that we don't really see in this book. Yeah, the, the fixes they've done to army construction, I really, really like. The new missions I really, really like. I just wonder... And then it comes back to what Andy was saying earlier, though. You add in more and more rules and it becomes more complex. And then it's like a job playing a game of Warhammer then, isn't it? So I understand there is a balance to be had, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. But then I, I always I always thought, you know, 40k in AOS... 40k was always the more sort of rule heavy version of the game. I'm not I'm not at all saying that Age of Sigmar is simple because actually I think it can be quite complex even though you've not got that amount of rules. But um, just the, the the beast that is 40k with all the line of sight and the sorts of shooting and yeah, I just think it, it's always made sense for 40k to be a bit more complicated. Yeah, I mean realistically. We're probably not too far off the next edition if we're thinking about the the, the, the release cycle. It's probably a couple of years off. So, like I said earlier, I think this is probably the midpoint of the edition. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think basically it'll be a case of wait and see how this plays out. The first few events that use this mission pack and then 
how the transition to the next season goes, I think it'd be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Excellent stuff. Um, that was quite a good look at that, guys. Um, so Matt has done quite a comprehensive write-up on the website for you to check out um, over on spreesandbrews.com. I will put the link in the podcast notes. So a simple click and you'll be able to uh, check those out. And again, our thanks to Games Workshop for sending us this copy for us to debate over on the show. Because uh, that's what we like to do. We're going to take a quick pause and we are getting towards the end of the podcast, but we do have the ever popular top three coming up next. And so we move on to this week's top three. And I think it's one that we don't, I don't think we've ever covered um, this on a previous show. We might have gone close, but but not quite the same um, question. So this week we've asked each other, if we could make some scenery kits, what would we make? What are our dream scenery kits? I want to start us off this week because I think people may have been a little bit more creative uh, than myself. I've gone quite kind of general um, sort of style. My third choice, and this was inspired by a a narrative 40k battle report I watched on Tabletop Tactics um, a couple of days ago. I'd really like to see uh, a proper sort of scenery kit that could represent a ritual or, or a temple. Um, now they they use like various GW scenery kits and third party kits to create this kind of summoning that was going on. So they had like these LED lights surrounded by cultists and stuff, uh, and then they used the Noculus Crown, I think it's called, as like the main ritual mm-hmm. point, um, which worked really really well. Um, but I think for both 40k and AOS. Um, especially AOS, I think it work as a really nice kit that you could just buy and just have that. Do any of you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a, a temple kind of kit would be cool. I mean, you've got the Storm Vault stuff, haven't you, Dave? Um, yeah. Which is like a temple-ish, quite cool, but I, I know what you mean. Yeah, that would be cool. Quite, I mean, quite dark. You've got the Seraphon ziggurat, and, mm. and on top of it, you have like the... Um, um there's like realm shaper uh, engine isn't it kind of thing. yeah yeah the realm shaper engine yeah, yeah you have like these little um pillars with like balls of electricity coming yes. off and merging into the center <laughs> so i think doing scenery piece that almost looks like it's not not interactive that's the wrong word but kind of like a a picture from a cutscene from a tv show or dynamic looking scenery yeah yeah there you go that's what i was trying to say in a very weird way yeah um my second choice and i i I think i mean i've not really had a look at the community choices but i expect this to come up i'm disappointed if it doesn't it might even appear on matt's top three what we need is a new updated for the mortal realms warhammer fortress absolutely so we had we did have um we did have the dread is it dreadfort not dreadfort yeah dreadfort was it it essentially the um it's the the varan spire yeah the chaos one isn't it scenery form so that was quite cool um but i would like to see one maybe um less focused on a particular faction and more focused on the realm that it's in um i think that could be quite nice Maybe uh, a realm of Haish abandoned 
keep that's covered in vines and stuff. That'd be really nice. Well, that'd be cool. For like a high, I mean, I had Warhammer Fortress on my list as well. Warhammer Fortress reimagined iPod. And mm. I was thinking the same lines of you, Dave. Rather than tying it to a faction, my, what I thought in my head was he should as well. But you could have like a, um, I don't know, if you think kind of like Middle Eastern temple kind of thing with a big, big mm. walled city. And mm. I think it looks so good. It'd work for, for Warhammer, wouldn't it? And I, yeah, and I don't think it necessarily... I think if you're clever with the kit, it doesn't necessarily have to... Because you think of a Warhammer Fortress and you think instinctively you're playing a siege mission. Um, I think if they could play around with kind of village-type scenery that you would get with a keep, thinking kind of like Rohan kind of scenery, it could still work. Like you say, you've got these ruined walls, but then you've got this like village dotted within it. Um, I think that would look really, really cool. Um, and we know we know that these kind of things exist in the law. Um, I can't remember what the book's called, but the, in the very beginning of, um, I think it's one of the ones where there's a group of adventurers searching for artifacts. And uh, for some reason, I can't think of the name of the book. But the, that book starts with this massive battle going on and they're fighting over this fort. You've got dwarfs and men. Um, defending this fort, and it turns out this fort's on the back of a what can be best described as a massive worm. Um, so you know it's like taking a traditional thing like a castle and putting it on a massive worm is so Age of Sigma. So um, that was my um, second choice, and I think that'd be quite a popular one. But it pales in comparison to my top choice <laughs> because I think it was about thirteen or fourteen months ago. We had a right old giggle on this podcast because we talked, we, we spoke about our dream jobs um, out in the galaxy, and I came up with my bar. What I would Edie's really bar. like, Edie's bra. I would really like Dave's bar for Necromunda, please and thank you. So <laughs> I would, like, listening, <laughs> I would, I would like some bar scenery for Necromunda. Simple as. Uh, I would like to see some some benches that you could like uh, interact with. Okay, so with the 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 market kit, we had little vials and stuff. Why not make them beer containers? Um, you know, cool. I could imagine some really cool bar necromunda signs, an actual bar that you're fighting over and ducking behind. Um, pool table. <laughs> a pool table. pool table. Yeah, I think it would be incredible. Even down to some loos if you are so inclined. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a really cool interactive necromunda bar is my top choice um andy let's go over to you for your top three so my top three is dare i say fairly practical it's stuff that i would love for um the purpose of the unicorn club um stuff for club night stuff for events that sort of stuff and just stuff that i thought would be cool so my my third choice is rivers and water features Yes. Um, so we, we don't really have anything like that from Games Workshop. There's a couple of companies like Gale Force 9, I think it is, that uh, do like Battlefield in a Box, and they've got some ponds and stuff, because I, I bought some of those a, a couple of years ago for the exact same reason, that for, you know Games Workshop just didn't do any sort of water terrain and stuff like that. And I think at one point they even had the Chimera, had like the Amphibious Assault rule, where it could yeah. move through water terrain without being impeded, but there was no water terrain. And you know, uh, interesting piece of uh, Warhammer lore: there was plans when the Realm of Battle was released 
to at some point release additional tiles that had rivers in them, but for whatever reason we never got them. Oh right, but I, I think that would be really cool because if you want to f- play a game in, let's say, the realm of life, for example, it would make sense for there to be a pond, or you know, something that breaks up, you know, a forest or rocky outcrop or you know you something like that. Yeah, in old Warhammer Fantasy, like chameleon skinks and things, you used to be aquatic and you used to be able to move through that sort of thing. So, yeah, so I, I think it'd be cool to to see some water terrain. Um, the second one, my second choice, is specific realm terrain. So obviously we've got um, the eight mortal realms now. We, you know, we've we've got Akshi, we've got Gairan, we've got Hishin. You know, all these places, especially that are described in the narrative, are all very different to one another. You know, actually, you know, is volcanic and ash. It, it, basically, it's like Mordor from the films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at like Gairan, where it's basically, to me, it's almost described as a kind of like a forest almost with like mm. some swamps and, you know, this sort of stuff. And I think seeing some ruins in Akshi would look very, very different to how they would look in um, Gairon. And like Dave was saying, you know, with the fort being on the back of a worm's back, well, if you have like some ruins or something along those lines on the back of a worm in Akshi, you know, maybe they wouldn't have lava on them and stuff like that. So, you know, I think seeing some realm specific terrain you know realm of hish for example you could have floating rocks you know i mean you might not play you know you might not put any models on top of them but you know it'd be cool to to have something like those lines you know what Uh, that's something you could tie into the season thing as well bring out a new plastic kit for a realm specific scenery piece that you can then there's rules then to, to when you fight in that realm that scenery piece is represented somewhere maybe yeah, well, they brought out all the um, oh the vault terrain back when second edition came out with Soul Wars and stuff, because that was kind of what they were going into with all the vaults and stuff, and we started mm. to see all all that sort of scenery. So I think something like that would be really cool to get some realm specific terrain. And then my first choice is a bit of a cheat because technically Games Workshop have done this in the past. But I'd love to see a, a a a big scale version of Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking the deeping wall and the keep. I'm talking <laughs> the, the run up to this. I'm talking the, the drawbridge. I'm, I'm not drawbridge, but the the sort of like the gateway. I'm talking the big hill where Gandalf rides down the hill with all those riders at Rohan. I'm talking the full full board because for me helm's deep is it is the the biggest action in i say the biggest action it's the most iconic action in the lord of rings series for me you know i mean i know you've got the battle for minas tirith and stuff but for me personally the two towers and helm's deep is the most iconic battle in the lord of rings films so I would love it, absolutely love it, if they brought out a scenery kit that allowed you to 
recreate that on the tabletop. You know what? Yeah. If Forgewell brought out an £800 Helms Deep kit, people would buy it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and that's my first choice. Oh, some excellent choices there, Andy. Like that, especially Helms Deep. I'd love, I'd love a Helms Deep um, scenery kit. Uh, Jay, uh, how about you enlighten us with your top three? Okay, so uh, Ray better be listening here because I'm expecting to see things in the next 18 to 24 months. Um, <laughs> so, my number one choice, and we've got sort of, you know, you can sort of represent it, sort of, with the Zone Mortalis boards that you can buy. But I would like to see a proper Space Hulk terrain kit. You know, you've got all the cool Necromunda bits that you can put together with the doors and whatnot and Zone Mortalis, but I'd like to see, like, gun emplacements, all of the, like, rigging and things on the inside of a big Imperial ship, uh, the the navigator sort of um, uh, area where they, the big spheres where they sit in and guide the ship, the bridge. Um, and then, you know, you could even go to town on it and have like expansions that you could release to turn it into a Hulk with like tyranny infested corridors and things like that. I'm not sure how practical it would be for a game of 40k, but it would look epic. It would be cool. You know what? You could have it compatible with the Zone Mortalis range, thinking slightly more sensibly. There's no reason why they couldn't have replacement walls and stuff. Some of them are like all tyrannided up. And like yep. you say, all the, the, the little, I don't know, a, a bridge, for example, that you could have on there. I I agree. I think that'd be really cool. The loaded hangers where, you you, you know, where you've got like um, the, the the things across the top where all the ships are hanging off of it, the, the drop pods and whatnot. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. You could play some really cool missions across that. Could you like you, get um, to the bridge, you know, get to the canteen, that sort of thing. Could you imagine, Jay, um, we all played the, Andy, I'm not sure if you've played this. Um, the board game Nemesis that you got a few months ago. Yeah. Imagine like a, a version of that, but with loads of scenery. That'd be that'd be you very could, very you cool. Could, you, you could call it Space Hawk, and you'd be walking through the corridors <laughs> of, it, of a ship, and they'd be like tyrannids chasing you. It'd be amazing. Yeah, they'd be spawning all around you. Yeah, that'd be ace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 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 my second choice was was also Helm's Deep, Andy, because I I agree with you. I'd love to see Helm's Deep. Um brought out as a big kit um, back in the day fresh from watching two towers m- myself and my brother we we loved that film the two towers and you're right that the, the the when the first time we saw the battle at helm's deep has stuck with me you know 18 years later 19 years later whatever and it's still something that me and my brother talk about to this day and back in the day when we were a bit younger we actually built a paper mache um model of helm's deep um, try to replicate what we could remember seeing at the cinema. We had the Urukai and Wood Elves and, and Rohan models that we used to, you know, battle across this house. And it was a really, really fun project, I remember, when me, me and my brother were, were kids putting that together. But yeah, I'd love to see see a, a Helm's Deep again. And, you know, I mean, it, I don't think it's outside the realms of possibility, really. We've seen some really cool Rohan scenery. We've seen some really cool um, Hobbit scenery. Um, mm. I mean, they must they must know Helm's Deep would be a popular kit to to release. Um, so yeah, I'm ho- I'm hoping we'll we'll see it one day. Yeah, they've done some really clever stuff. I think they're both sculpted by Ray. The, the Rohan houses certainly are, mm. but he's designed them in such a way where you can use multiples of the same sprue to make a bigger kit. So obviously the stock kit just makes a Rohan house, but you could put I think about six of them together to make the hall of 
Edraf, is it called? Yeah. yeah. But you can make that, and it's all it's all compatible, so you can make that big haul from from multiples of the same part, which is really clever design. Uh, Dolgal door goes away together the same way as well, where you've got all these different wall sections and floor sections, where with just the stock kit you get a decent sized thing, but if you get multiples, you can put them together for a massive display. That is such good design work. Mm, a yeah, little bit harder for something like Helms Deep, arguably, but you know the walls and stuff you could do with that kind of concept. I guess the the difficulties then you're um, the kind of the 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 gate tower. I think the the be- the best way to be able to do that is re-release the wooden uh, the, re-release the resin gate and then have mm-hmm. plastic wall sections to go with it. Something like that maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wall sections be able to fit the deeping wall as long as you wanted. Yeah. If you had the space. And that's it then, just just different boxes to represent the other elements of Helm's Deep. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, you might have a battle around the gate, the battle down the ramp, um, the battle in front of the deeping wall. You wouldn't necessarily need to build buy all the boxes to build a full-size proper Helm's Deep, but everybody would. Yeah. Everyone would. And I guess that's the thing against it being a plastic kit is that it's limited nature that you can only use it for specific scenarios, which I guess you've got the you've got the um, Amon Hen and the other one, I forget, as resin kits in Forge World. Where the top, yeah, which are expensive uh, kits because it, it doesn't really work as a plastic kit because you'd only ever need one of them if that. Yeah. Uh, where the Rohan houses, the Lake Town houses work well enough as generic scenery. But no, yeah. I'd, I'd really love to see a, a Helm's Deep. That'd be amazing. Um, so my number one choice is, um, again, not sure how practical this would be, but it would look awesome. And it is a proper Blood Bowl stadium. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so Good you'd have a, a slot in the middle where you could put your, your uh, cardboard mat so you could swap your pictures out, but then the rest of it would be all plastic. So you, 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 um, the the stands where all the crowd can sit, your dugouts, your benches, uh, your little tunnel where the uh, the teams can come on from, your um, food stores, that sort of thing, and it would be a, a proper 360 design, you know. So you, you know you'd have you'd have the stands all the way around the pitch, but you could like it would be on a hinge or something, so you could open it up to get to it when you're playing a game. Absolutely, would love that with like really crazy sponsorship boards and stuff. Yeah, they could swap out. Yeah. yeah. Did, uh, did did anyone else? See, uh, again, I don't. I don't really like football. This is the second football reference I've made in in the same <laughs> podcast. But did anyone used to play Sabutio and used to be able to get like the the scoreboard yeah. and the mm. stands and and the burger van outside? Yeah, I'd be all over that for uh, for Blood Bowl. I think some people have adapted those old scenery for Blood Bowl. Yeah, I think you're right, Dave. I think if you've done that, share pictures with us because I'd love to see it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, absolutely fantastic choice to go out on there, Jay. Um, Matt, I believe that just leaves yourself with your top three. It does. My third choice was Warhammer Fortress. Again, I think it doesn't need to be too over the top. I think a generic building, a generic castle would still work in Age of Sigma. But I've put in a cheeky 3.5 there because we always talked about the castle. You know what I'd love to see? Marvel Crisis Protocol is a cool game because you can have, like pickup trucks and 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 um garbage trucks and cars and all that kind of stuff makes it look like a lived in environment i'd love to see some generic scenery kits representing various civilian or industrial vehicles for 40k yeah that would be cool yeah. I just, I, it's, it'd be the, 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 
in the same way that the the armored containers are a really good scenery kit because they block line of sight and they take up quite a bit of space imagine that with vehicles dotted around we've got a bit of that with the um the crane haven't we from the, yeah, the, the Galvan servo servo yeah but i'd like to see some kind of like it's just what does a what does a, a, a car or a truck or something look like in the 40k universe i think that'd be quite cool i, I think nearly... it'd be good as well for sorry go on dave no carry on jake i was gonna say i think that'd be really good for um for, for narrative games as well really setting the scene you know you can mm. probably come up with some really cool missions like you know a bunch of civilians need rescuing by a squad of imperial guardsmen you know in the midst of a tyrannid invasion and you can sort of represent that civilian infrastructure in those civilian that yeah that would be cool or even um necromunda because you you get um like hab blocks and stuff don't you but there's there's still streets and there's still cars and stuff yeah going through his head blocks so that'd be cool I was also, um, it nearly made my top three, was uh, like down planes or destroyed vehicles. We used to have a really old Rhino kit that GW did oh, that was yes. like half yeah, destroyed. Yeah. I'd like got to that upstairs, do... Dave. Have you? Yeah. Oh, we need to get that painted, Jay. Um, um, in fact, I have a really cool idea for that, uh, if you've still got it somewhere. Um, but um, yeah, stuff like that. And I mean upgraded the scale of course a crash thunderhawk like they've got at warhammer world as part of their board um or or a you know destroyed titan but yeah much smaller scale some of their other sort of iconic tanks plus it gives them a, a an outlet for their models that don't make it out the casting quite right um but then i suppose you haven't really got a unique <laughs> <Like> misshapes <laughs> yeah yeah you'd have you wouldn't have a unique kit would you so i don't know but um but yeah, I think that would be a really cool idea. You can just scour over all of the uh, Warhammer 40k boards after the Tau players have finished the game. Pick up all the wreckage. <laughs> uh, so my second choice is something that did used to exist from Forge World, and I've got a suspicion, might, I hope it does, exist in the future. And that is the Death Corps of Krieg trench system. So Forge World used to have an extensive trench range for the death core of krieg back when vrax first came out oh a long time ago we're probably talking i don't know 12 or 13 years ago now i think the death core of krieg came out in resin and um they were designed for advanced modelers essentially you would need some sheets of foam dig in the trenches and then these kind of walkways and trench systems and dugouts and stuff would drop it into that because the problem we've got with the with the what's it called the wall of Marth it's kind of a reverse trench isn't it it's more of a walkway with a hill on each side Um, Mm. and again you know obviously from from making it fit on the battlefield that's what they've had to do but i think it's a little bit dated now and i think it'd be really cool to have some more krieg flavored trench lines and then have minefields and have on the death core krieg transfer sheet there's literally a mine mine transfers danger mines and all the kind of stuff that you'd imagine to be on this it's super super bizarre that they're on the krieg transfer sheet because kind of creating your own scenery isn't really pushed in any books anymore which makes me suspect that is there a plastic kit that these attached to maybe mm. but yeah that'd yeah. be so cool and it's somewhere to park my um wonderful mortars that you guys love so much <laughs> No, no, no Harlequins going into them when they're safely in a trench surrounded <laughs> by a, a mass of bodies. They're fairly safe there. 
Uh, my number one choice, though, is intact Age of Sigmar buildings inspired by the fortified manor house kits. Mm. So the fortified the fortified manor house, if you don't know, was a combination of three different kits, I want to say. There was a wall section, there was like a house, and there was a tower, and they could be combined together to make this nice little mansion thing. Um, it was an amazing kit, and I wish you could still get it. I really hope they redo that kit. You know, redo it, not just re-release it, redo it for the old world. But I'd like to see something like that for Age of Sigmar. People are going to be living in houses. There's going to be little forts and watchtowers. The 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 Mortal Realms is quite an old place. We have been through multiple ages. Surely there's still normal looking buildings kicking around in the place. You, you know, a, a, a desolate part of of I don't know, Orgu might have a little spooky hamlet with a haunted inn. I, I think that stuff still fits in Age of Sigma. It doesn't all have to be totally wacky. And mm. intact buildings, for me personally, just look more interesting on the battlefield than ruins. It still works yeah. as line of sight block and you've got to manoeuvre around them. It's actually good to have against stuff like all these dragons and stuff that's milling around now, just to funnel the battle on the on the battlefield somewhat. So yeah. that's what I'd like to see. Oh, excellent. Yeah, very good choice. Now I think about it, there isn't any um, in actual completed buildings for Sigma, is there? Nope, Apart from I don't the think there, there are any. Don't think there are any at all. No. So there you go. Some really um, varied and great choices from the team there. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the community have come up with. That's our final segment on this week's podcast, and that's coming up next. As always, to wrap up this week's show, we're going to be going through the community top three choices to see what scenery you would love created for your battlefields. We're going to start over on Facebook. Brian Dennis, his third choice is Necromunda Hive Gubbins. So bits of scatter like sofas and dustbins. I think that it just works so well in Necromunda, though, that does. Um, it really, really does. And I think we've started seeing that with the market. So, yeah, we'd like to see more of that. Uh, his second choice is old fantasy style buildings suitable for Age of Sigmar, Soulbite Gravelords, and Mordheim. And his top choice is Necromunda Living Quarters, apartment complexes bring the hive to life. Again, I think that's uh, a really, really good shout, um, especially as we're getting more and more Necromunda novels and like the Warhammer crime novels would be a good source of inspiration for that as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, James McClellan, um, uh, apologies, James, if I butchered your surname. His third choice is the good old, a good old fashioned wizard's tower. His second choice is rivers or lakes. And his top choice is ruined vehicles such as broken dreadnoughts, dead steam tanks or caradron crash ships would be good. I agree with all three of those. I think we um, covered most of them as well. So, yeah, some really good choices there. Uh, over on Twitter, Matt, what do we have? So on Twitter, Fabius Fulgrim says, a chaos desecrated imperial city. Nice. Uh, Agri world scenery barn silos and mad sci-fi combine harvesters. I'm I'm down for that. (laughs) And an AOS castle like fantasy used to have for proper siege games. Mm. Immortan Joe says the inside of a Tyranid hive ship, similar to the walls and doors of a space hawk, but with leaky acidic walls. Nice. Playable and modular trench lines, bunk, because other World War One style scenery. 
uh, and pick a Xenos faction and give them some scenery. A sector mechanic is equivalent. Yeah, I agree. I think I think we've started to see some of that, but yeah, I'd like to see more Xenos scenery. Mm. Anonymous Rex says a Caradron Sky Dock. Yes. I've seen uh, some good versions of that. Yeah, some people have done some really good stuff. Re-release the old Forge World terrain in plastic. We talked about some of it. They've done some amazing scenery in the past. And an epic scale terrain set for a hive city for use in Titanicus and Aeronautica. That's a really good shout. And I don't know why Forge World haven't done that. Because that'd be ace. Yeah, that would yeah. be cool. G Ambulance Service says a Space Hulk expansion. The interior of the Vengeful Spirit. Yes. Uh, a playable replica of Mike McVeigh's classic Warhammer Quest diorama. I can't remember which one that is. A God Beast model for Age of Sigma that doubles up as a playing surface for games of <laughs> AOS. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the warp. You don't want to look at it. It hurts your eyes. Just this guy you know says for AOS, buildings for all the Grand Alliances. Modular sizing to help build a board. Yes, completely agree. Uh, finish faction terrain for AOS and an AOS sewer. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, Harry Sherwin says something like the Lake Town Houses for AOS that you could customise to fit your Grand Alliance. Uh, JP Riley 94 says intact Imperial City terrain. Why does everything have to be blown up? Yep, completely agree. More faction specific terrain like the Orcs for the Eldar Tyranid and Demons. And Games Workshop mouse mat style gaming mats. The ones they've currently got in Warhammer World are ace. Sell those. It'd be brilliant. The space for your dice tray and everything. Mm. Uh, Gunners Berry roofs. I get it that it's not entirely practical, but as a hobbyist, I'd love to make cathedrals and stuff with the Sector Imperialis kit. I agree. I, look, ruins work from a design point of view because you can have just an L-shaped building and it works as scenery. I want to see complete buildings. I want to see roofs. I completely agree. Wild West gaming goes in with a with a realistic one to start with the imperial palace slash <laughs> the gates of the imperial palace yeah both of them bring it on tyranid invested terrain and dracari terrain evan says bits from an aos city shantytown building street lamps barrels etc chaos warped landscapes that could be used for aos and 40k and eldar zone mortalis tiles so you could play a kill team inside a craft world that's mm. a really cool idea Darren Winter says re-release the Imperial Manor House, debased Imperial statues and Eldar statues. Again, another good shout. Um, P. V. Astelujic, I have just butchered your name. I apologise. Tyranid Terrain. Dave Weston. Dave Weston is is has got a good one. There can be only one. Brian the Sioux Event. So if you don't know who Brian the Sioux Event is, Google him. You've seen him. He was in pretty much every piece of 40k photography for a very, very long time. I believe that Brian the Sioux event has got an Easter egg on the Adeptus Titanicus scenery sprue as well. I think he's on yeah. the the one with the pipes and stuff. You'll know it when you see it. It's a little Sioux event and he was in so much artwork back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Simon says, I'd settle for the Sector Imperialis kit's been re-released so I could finish my board. I know you've uh, been looking at the same, haven't you, Dave? I'm I'm absolutely gutted that I missed out on the one with the, the statues. I, I really, when I was planning out my Necromunda board, I really wanted that to be the centrepiece building. I'm gutted. I do like the new ones that are coming out, like the, the more frozen sort of landscape ones, but I do really regret not picking that scenery piece up. You never know, it could be hiding somewhere. Uh, he also says for Dream Kits, an extra kit for Zone Mortalis that helps it make like a le- looks like makes it look like a Legion spaceship, like Jay said, that's a great idea. 
a Garden of Nurgle range and an expanded Gyran range. Yeah, I, I think we need more more uh, foliage in our Age of Sigmar. Christine Child's got some really good ones. Eldar architecture, a fantasy manor house, and a cog fort. Yes, I want to see a cog fort. Yeah. As big as a titan, a big dwarf war machine. I know Jay would buy one. Um, Geeks with Shield says, I'd love it if Games Workshop would invest in rules for a big modular fortress with rules. Something that you'd be able to modulate the height, the damage, the weapons, number of walls. Super thematic for games with Imperial Fists versus the Iron Warriors. And yeah, that's an amazing idea too. Uh, and finally, Jem Duduku says, ruined dwellings, not temples for Age of Sigmar. For example, burnt huts for ogres, uruks, and half timber houses for humans. Necron temples and halls. And number one, a World War One style trench, sandbags, firing points, and bunkers for the Krieg. Yeah, absolutely agree. I agree with lots and lots of those. Some really, really good ideas. We need to get in touch with uh, Superfan Ray. See what he can see what he can do. Um, Matt, what is next week's top three? So, well, obviously on Friday we've got the LVO reveal. So it's an oldie but a goodie. We want to know your top three reveals from the show. So you can get your choices early via social media, or alternatively, the Sunday or Monday before we record the show, you will have the opportunity to reply to a, a tweet or message that we'll put out asking for your top threes um but yeah 6 a.m on on friday for that for that show i know my son will make sure i'm uh, awake maybe not for that particular reason um but i should be awake to check out what's what's hot uh, i can't wait absolutely can't wait that sadly brings us to the end of this week's episode it's been awesome as always guys really enjoyed chatting about chapter approved review yeah, it's been it's been a fun show, hasn't it? And I'm looking forward to next week's show because uh, I think we're going to see some cool stuff on Friday. I think we're going to see some very cool stuff on Friday. So until then, have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us. Send us a tweet at Spruce and Brews or head over to facebook.com forward slash Spruce and Brews. <laughs>